0: Welcome to AMDA On The Go, your gateway to expert discussions, journal article reviews, and innovations in post-acute and long-term care. AMDA On The Go is a presentation of AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Statements made by guests on the podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of the society. A speaker's appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them, their views, or any entity they represent. This podcast is eligible for ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits. Details will be provided at the end of this podcast. And now, here's our host for Amda on the go, Dr. Diane Sanders-Cepeda.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Diane Sanders-Cepeda, and I am joined today by Dr. Leslie Eber and Lori Porter. Um, Leslie and Lori, would you mind introducing yourself?
2: Sure. Thank you so much, Diane, for having us on the podcast. My name is Dr. Leslie Eber, and I'm a medical director and attending physician in nursing homes, and I'm just thrilled to be here.
3: I'm Lori Porter, and I am co-founder and CEO of the National Association of Healthcare Assistants, which is the only CNA professional association in America, and I've had a 42-year career thus far in long-term care, all in skilled nursing.
1: Thank you. Thank you both for joining um, today. I I really wanted to know, and I'm just going to start off by asking the question, what does our CNAs want us to know?
3: Wow, that's a that's a loaded question. I'll, I'll start off because there's a lot of things that CNAs want people to know. And, and one of the things I feel that um, has been a real win uh, for my members here at NACA CNAs is that AMDA has opened up a channel to learn and listen, listen and learn to CNAs. And there's not a lot of wins. That we've been able to chalk up for CNAs, right? As their association, we can't impact pay, we can't impact benefits, we can support, and that's what we've done: is education and support of CNAs. But one thing we didn't know, we all often assume too much. We assumed the medical directors understood who we were, and I believe medical directors thought CNAs understood who they were. So I like the idea of this podcast and thank you for inviting me because I really do think there's real synergy between the medical directors and CNAs that can be capitalized on and leveraged to make improvements in our, our care outcomes.
1: It is interesting because I think as I rounded through um, many facilities, the person who I knew the most or spoke to the most was probably the CNA. Um, Leslie, I don't know how, in thinking about the relationships you have, how, how have you been related to your CNAs?
2: Well, you know, it's an evolving process, but I've learned so much from Lori and I just have to give her a shout out for all the education that she's given me. Um, and now, uh, I ask better questions and I listen better. So I feel that I can have a better impact and I can do my job better because I talk with CNAs and listen to their perspective and because I'm asking better questions and I'm inviting CNAs to our QAPI, to our roundtable discussions, to our solution building uh, periods and really engaging and letting them know that I am interested in what they have to say. I want to hear their perspectives, and they are experts. They take care of the patients every day, and they're going to notice first what's working, what isn't working. And they've also found that when we develop solutions together with CNAs, they're more powerful, they're more successful, and the patients get better care. And so this has been an incredible opportunity. There are a few silver linings of the pandemic, and I felt like this is one of them.
1: Well, and that was a question
3: I have for both of you. What has COVID taught us about the role of the CNA? I think it's taught us that, uh, well, it hasn't, it didn't teach me anything, but I think it tra- taught our greater communities across the nation of their value. Um, they have been marginalized for decades, um, even in the nineties began, you know, when I was a CNA in the eighties, no one referred to us as a direct worker. No one, a direct care worker. Why would they do that to CNAs? I don't understand. And so often nursing homes want to change the title of CNAs, and it's for a marketing reason. It's not for a care reason or to support CNAs, right? So when they call and ask me, we're getting ready to change our CNA titles, I said, well, what are you changing the RNs to? Well, we're not. What are you changing the L? We're not then why in the world are you changing the CNAs? I don't understand. And so I think what we've learned is uh, as a society, especially as a profession of of uh, geriatrics, we've learned that the power of the CNA is not as a worker, it's as a relationship builder with your patients that you don't have time to build, yeah, but
2: need to have,
3: so. That's what I think we've learned, especially between the two of our organizations and our memberships.
2: Now, I, I just want to build upon that idea. You know what I've really learned from the pandemic when it was just all of us in the community, in the nursing home, there weren't very many family members. There weren't all of those added services. We had the opportunity to build better relationships and invest in one another and listen to one another and really honor one another. I have certainly more substantial relationships with CNAs, both in my facilities where I'm medical director and the facilities where I'm attending physician. And that relationship has built upon itself. It's built upon informed, better trusting relationships. We lean on each other more, we communicate more, we talk more. In the end, our patients really benefit from that relationship.
1: So it's thinking about that value that a CNA has. I I was speaking to a senior VP of um, clinical operations for a large a large um, corporation, and she told me she had to become the CNA, and she never had an opportunity to actually walk in a CNA's shoes. I think I think that a lot of us don't understand what that day to day even looks like. Can you just um, and I'm going to direct this first to Lori. Can you break down what all the things that CNA are doing when they're on um, their shift and they're working with um, that, that resident in the building?
3: Well, it's, uh, that, that's a very good question and an interesting one because we're seeing that change across the nation over time. Um, long-term care really is stymieing CNA's uh, skill set. Uh, when I first became a CNA, we were allowed to do a lot more. And, you know, we could change some sterile dressings, we could remove catheters, we could DC IVs, um, and CNAs in hospitals still get to do those things. Interesting. Uh, years ago, uh, the first hospital to buy membership for its CNAs was uh, St. Francis over in Indiana. And they had about 80 CNAs in the auditorium and I was handing out certificates of membership and I'd ask them where they got certified. Every one of them, 100% were certified at a nursing home. I said, I have to ask out of curiosity, do you just not like old people? You went there to get certified and then you came here. Why? And they said, we don't work here. We're on staff here professionalism matters to CNAs, and they feel all of those they see in their world who are hypocrites, they see as hypocrites. When nurses won't follow through, when administrators won't follow through, when there's been egregious, egregious things that they're aware of. So, you know, the typical day has changed because, you know, uh, many facilities won't allow a CNA to change a colostomy bag so it's really based on facility policy but what the what the role of a cna is uh, you know i can explain evening shift like the back of my hand you clock in and it's time to start getting your residents up from naps and getting them prepared to go to dining at the time they want to go to dining and that can mean anything from uh you know if there's total care then i have to take them to the restroom i have to clean them once they have finished i have to make sure they're fed Oh, yes, I have to pass ice and water, something someone else could do that doesn't require my skill set. But I am bogged down with both social, emotional, and physical burdens throughout my day. Um, when I was an 18 year old girl, I didn't even know what this was, but we had a resident that was in his 60s and he couldn't have a bowel movement without digital stimulation. I thought that was criminal to have a young girl go down and do that. And so no one is protecting us. When you're 18, yes, you may have even been with a boy before, but you've never seen an 85 year old penis. And there's hard to prepare for those things. You see, we don't prepare nurse aides. Skills can be taught almost anywhere. The emotional impact, the empathy you have to develop, if you don't have all of these skill sets, come into play in that role because you're not only the residenced caregiver, you're their best friend, you're their granddaughter, you're bring them talcum powder. You don't have money to buy milk for your kids, but you'll bake cookies for your residents. So it, it, it's just far more complex than just the actual physical load. I mean, obviously there's uh, patient transfers the problem that we have had traditionally and will continue to have that makes it such a daunting position is the staffing crisis and i'm telling you that this is not new it's just worse the first night i started as a cna in 1980 we were short-handed this is not and so we have to fix this what cnas want you to know is they will do a great job if they're given the resources and the support, they wanna do the right thing. And so um, it, it is a tough, because then you clock out knowing you would have done more had you only had more time, you should have done more. You know, you can be driving home and think, oh my gosh, I left Burl on the toilet. And it's traumatic for you. The moral distress that they're under right now of watching these Residents, their loved ones die. They're not patients, right? I mean, I see the hospital setting is so much different. Three days, you haven't built a relationship, really. But these are their families, and no one really stops to take that into consideration when we, you know, we say they're the backbone. They're so much more than the backbone Mm -hmm. that uh, I don't say they're the most important, and I wish people wouldn't because we don't have to devalue other people. To lift CNAs
1: up. Well, let me ask you because you brought up like I love that we need to really rethink. This is a profession. There is um, professionalism that has evolved in the role of a CNA, and from what you're describing, you're monitoring their well-being. You're monitoring um, their the 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 things that we don't always. Uh, quantify as health, but are actually critical to health, the the fact that they are eating, are they being cleaned appropriately, you're the intimacy that they may have the only intimate relationship that they may have in that facility, that you know, when when you really, truly think about it outside of what relationships they have with the family who may or may not visit, or their roommate or someone who they know in the dining room, you know, that that is that first level.
3: Well, and the closest person there to, obviously, the resident, second closest is to families. You know, when the families couldn't visit, CNA's got no recognition because our recognition lifeline comes from the families. So there was no love at all, right? Because they couldn't see the people that recognized them. And um, that relationship is so valued. But here's what you know as a CNA, you're told in in in-service, it still happens today. Don't talk the families. <laughs> That's why there's no trust. Yeah. Can I just I can't, have, I, can't, yeah. I can't be trusted to talk to the resident family who
2: relies on me? Well, I mean, I think you bring up a really good point, Lori. I just wanted to build on some of them. You know, I think we need to develop a uh Paradigm where CNAs can, they are already putting in so much of this emotional labor, and it's imperative, both with the residents and the family. And I think we need to fold that in into the job that you're already doing, you're just doing double. Because when we make it so that CNAs have that time and they have that opportunity to build that relationship, to do that emotional labor, emotional work, everybody benefits. And I mean, we have seen this in research that when... Everybody is allowed to have the time to build those relationships. All of a sudden, residents not only feel valued, but their um, levels of depression go down. And all of a sudden, they're telling CNAs, gosh, my legs are a little swollen. I am a little short of breath. And all of a sudden, we see even rehospitalizations go down. So I feel like there's a lot of opportunity here. But again, it will need a workforce and it will need to acknowledge that CNAs do much more than what's on paper. And so I think that'll be important. I just also want to uh, throw in a little bit for all providers out there that showing gratitude for what CNAs do every day and calling it out and being specific is really a great way to value somebody and the work that they do. And so um, I try to do that every single day. Whenever I see, I see every day, just yesterday um, in my facilities, so many CNAs and nurses do go well above and beyond. Mrs. Jones' wheel on her walker isn't working well. And I see a CNA on the floor trying to fix the wheel just to make sure that she doesn't fall. You know, that's not part of her job description, but she was doing it anyway because she loves this patient. Right. And so um, taking a moment to say, thank you so much. That was so kind. Of, and can I help you? Let's see if we can do okay. it together
1: those demonstrations of gratitude, is that the foundation to build those relationships between the medical directors and the CNAs?
3: It is because here's what the medical director is going to have to be aware of, though. The most toxic relationship in a nursing home is between the nurses and the CNAs. And if the medical director goes in giving some love to CNAs, it's not going to fare well for once they leave, okay. if it's the wrong culture. The nurses will tell them they're getting too big for their britches, they're uppity, they think they know too much, don't get used to it, I'm still the one in charge. I mean, it's a toxic, toxic, and, and again, I, I, the, there's many facilities, I just hope we can, some at some point in time in our discussions about nursing homes, we can just start from a point where we know there are great ones, right? but right now and it's really tough to say there's any great ones right now how can you be great when we're down three hundred thousand staff members right but there are some that have held it together their culture of gratitude uh but for those that don't you know not every administrator is going to be alike some are not lovey touchy feely people and trying to get them to do these things is just wasting our breath right because they, if they don't have that skill set, they can't deliver a compliment that somebody really feels. But you can't find a bunch of nutbags like Le- uh, Leslie and I that run around. Oh, thank you thank, <laughs> you, thank you, thank you. Oh, give me a hug. Give me. Oh, bring it in. Bring it in. No. But what in thinking
1: about like what we need to do? How do we, um, how do we confront that toxicity? I've. I think I've now sat on. Um, many phone calls and many Zoom meetings about the staffing crisis, uh, you know, the toxic nature between um, different um, professions. What, what do we need to do to get more CNAs? What do we need to do to get more nurses? And um, I wonder, you know, if we know that there is a, a bridge that needs to be built, what do we do
2: Well, I as would the medical
1: been... director or even the clinicians in the building? Correct.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to kind of uh, talk about that. I really think that first we have to teach how to lead thoughtfully and how to lead with compassion and authenticity. And if it's something that you're not born with, I, I really believe that you can learn it. And I think that investing in these relationships and um, asking for feedback, instead of just talking at people, which I find to be incredibly ineffective, um, listening and doing an active listening, gaining that feedback, and then acting upon it. So if you're hearing that nurses and CNAs are just struggling, there's some, we can make an impact on that. And so let's let's bring people to the table, let's unpack that situation, and let's be leaders that are effective, thoughtful, and empathetic, and, and real and authentic. I, okay. I think when you bring authenticity to the table, um, People realize that, and all of a sudden they realize that you're all into.
3: At the end of the day, you know, I really believe that um, I'm not certain that in my career I've seen a lot of strong medical directors. You know, I've had one or two. I've also had to replace medical directors in my career as an administrator and regional operator. And so I know the, you know, I kind of know that role and I wished I'd have been smarter at the time I was an administrator because I would have had my medical directors taking a much stronger role in leading my care team. Uh, But here's where, see, you know, the staff of a nursing home, including the medical director, is in a position of not a lot of authority, a great deal of responsibility, but no authority to make the changes. Yesterday we held a CNA staffing summit, a webinar, and you know that was one of the questions. When we when I'm an you know, when your administrator works for a corporation and cannot have an impact on your wages, cannot change the benefits, what can we do as administrators for you then? And you would not have believed the answer.
2: Tell us. Tell yeah, us yeah. how
3: tell us how hard you've fought for us.
2: Mm hmm. hmm. Great answer. Wow. Yeah,
3: wow. I think how, you know, sim- how simple. Just show us what how you fought for us. Show us where you've added up all our years of experience and made the case on our behalf, and then you're not the problem.
2: Mm-hmm. Then you're all on Then you're all on the same side and exactly. all of a sudden. Because we all really have the same goal. We all want to care for residents, feel good about what we're doing, feel like Mm -hmm. we're making an impact, we're making a difference in people's lives. And I think when we come to that common ground and build from there, we have opportunity to repair relationships, to move forward with trust, and to build a culture in our communities that is meaningful, that is respectful. So I will... I would say,
1: you know, I've I've had some really truly touching and fortunate relationships with um, the CNAs that I've worked with. Um, I also have uh, many family members who are CNAs, and I I guess it's a different perspective where you know that um, the CNA may be a leader in the community, such as they may be the pastor of a church, they may be, um, you know, the evangelist going out. the, the, you know helping people in their homes hospice uh,
3: ministry uh, yes, all kinds. yes
1: there's so many things that you don't think about as what like that this person a whole person <laughs> can do you know so I, I think that may have um, shaped my perspective but I wonder do we ever f- understand and, and think about what their life is beyond just in that facility you know they're Everyone, you know, who enters this building comes in with their own experiences, they come in with their the knowledge that they have, but it feels to me sometimes that there is a, that we look down upon this profession, because we don't understand just how dynamic they are. You know, well and they're
3: survivors you know the the one thing I love about nursing home staff at every level, every department, including the administrators, you can't work inside the walls of a nursing home and not be a fighter, not be a champion, not be a punching bag because there is you know I feel for administrators I don't want them to think that I want to bridge the gap between them and CNAs I want administrators, You know, uh, we created this nice, the National Institute of CNA Excellence, and physicians are teaching the roles of medical directors, how to approach your medical director uh, in the certification model. The administrators doing the same thing, our content partners, our subject matter experts, because I don't know how you become person-centered care deliverer, you know, provider, if we haven't been first CNA-centered, student-centered. Educational centered, right? We have all these expectations of people without any uh, investment, right? They make lead CNAs. All you do when a facility administrator and DON pick a lead CNA, they just ruin that person's work life because immediately they become the brown noser. They're the administrator's favorite so uh feel free to edit this part out but i do want to say that no this is actually i just don't want (laughs) to be self-serving but i do want to say we have at naca developed a complete reimagined frontline workforce operation and it insulates the cnas to where you know it's often said that when there's an administrator or don change a facility set back six months right as everybody whoever the administrator is can't change ADLs Mm -hmm. there's no reason if they had a thousand administrators we're putting way too much importance on the administrator when we have our largest employee group the most bought in the most committed that we're letting you know and so we call it the enclave principle it's setting up distinct CNA departments where they have their own measurable outcomes if Dr. Eber says team, I need my falls down. CNAs my they can put that on their scoreboard and report with measurable, you know, data. We burn out if boys wouldn't play football in August practice and puke and go in for IVs if they weren't going to know the score till the end of the season. CNAs have to have measured work, measured outcomes. They don't get timely evaluations. In the workplace, there's no way that they know. Group praise is the only praise you get. So if if you and Leslie are superstars, and and Victor and I are losers, really, because you know not every not every care per, not every physician, not every nurse is a great one, you know. Um, and the administrator says, "Oh my gosh, we got a great survey." Or the medical director comes in and says, "You guys ace the survey. We got this great survey. Thank you." Well, if I've been there 15 years working my guts out and picking up doubles, you didn't, I didn't feel that. You know why? Or you guys didn't feel it because Victor and I got it too. And we call in all the time, right? So all we did was strip the, the career CNAs of the victory. Because, and all we did was reinforce to the caller inners that you can get by with that. That's okay, we're still a winning team. And so, you know, we can't continue to treat every person alike. I believe in pay for performance. And so if we could put some measuring Things in place where when CNAs invest in themselves as part of a, a practitioner, you know, on the care team in general, I think it should be something that is celebrated among the care team, not just nursing school or things like that, but infection control specialist certification, various things like that.
2: Yeah. It's
1: well, interesting. I, oh, go ahead, Leslie, go ahead.
2: Well, I agree with that. And I think the more we can be specific and invest in individuals, you know, I really like also, Diane, what you were saying that Everybody comes to work with their own story, but if we don't really invest in their story and we never ask them, you know, tell me about your family or about, uh, you know, what are your traditions, what's important to you, what matters to you, Uh, you know, again, when I think you invest in those, the human, then that relationship is going to be better. We're going to work better together. You're going to trust me a little bit more because you know, I care about you. You know, I'm interested in you, not just for how many hours you're, how many doubles you're going to pick up, but also for you as a person. Yeah. And I I think um, thinking about that
1: story in the culture, you know, because it's interesting that, you know, in in the work that I've done, we always say, you've seen one building, you've seen one building. But there is the commonality (laughs) amongst all these facilities is. The way we treat our um, CNAs, you know, it, it, it is a very unfortunate uh, thing to have a comment. I remember I was once in a situation where I'm at the bedside, I needed a translator. Um, you know, I, my Spanish could only go so far. <laughs> and, um,
3: and be further
1: than mine. <laughs> yeah, it, when I I said, oh, I called like I need this person to come in here, and everyone was like, what are you talking about? That person's a CNA, but I knew that person's backstory. I knew that she could speak Spanish. She could speak French. She could speak Creole in addition to English. Like, what, how dynamic is that? That is amazing. And yet we are, we, we, she was being dismissed.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: The value that she brought to that situation, and she was so easily dismissed.
3: Happens so often, and it's just crushing. I mean, you can wit. And you don't I think people have become immune to it, Diane. I mean, they really have. I was consulting a facility a while back. And when I met with I meet with the department heads, I meet with everybody to find out the root cause of this problem. And, you know, I'll be meeting with department heads and they'll make statements like, oh, getting the CNAs together around here is like herding cats. And I'm like, that's why you have a problem. Right. Yeah. You can't say things like, if that's the way you really feel, then we can't win. Mm -hmm.
2: I do think that language matters and body language matters. The words you use matters and how you treat people. One of the things I found during the pandemic, and, uh, you know, I don't know how this all came about, but I wanted to make sure that everybody, everyone had so many questions, but, and people, Nurses had questions, CNAs had questions, housekeeping. And we would all gather at the nursing station. And I wanted to make sure that every question was valued and answered. And we really got into a habit so that everybody was welcome to the table. And we had CNAs raising their hands and asking about their family members. You know, my sister is concerned about this. And when I was thinking about it, I'm concerned about it too. And all of a sudden it was... um, everybody's ideas are welcome and we are not gonna marginalize anybody or judge them for their concerns or their thoughts or their perspectives. And that really made my facility stronger. And then I found that every time I came back and did some more updates about COVID-19 or infectious control, everybody was still asking the questions because I think they knew it was a safe place to do so. They knew that they would be welcome. And so I think that that was, I hope that that trend continues, but I think it's something we have to tend to all the time. Uh, one thing I think it's really, really important about trust. It's not one and done. You can't just tell people, I want you to trust me. I've done one that nice thing and, and now we're done. Uh, I think that never works.
3: I have a, I'd like to share one interesting story. I think Dr. Gifford's probably a member of AMDA I would imagine. And, uh, We had him speak, and most people don't realize, but we uh, before the pandemic, we, for the last 15, 16 years, have held an annual CNA Fest, CNA Conference. And uh, anyway, what was, oh, GIF. So GIF is not a motivational speaker, as we all know, right? So our CNAs (laughs) like to have fun when they come to CNA Fest. I mean, they're on the tables with pom-poms and their cheer and you can't. And, you know, I heard an owner say one time, we pay these people $10 an hour and they get on the tables and celebrate what we do. And you guys own the place and you'd never do that. Right? I mean, so look at the power in that spirit. But anyway, they love the fun speakers. They love those Rowdy people like me that'll make the jokes that aren't appropriately to be told. (laughs) So I'm thinking GIF is going to be a proverbial turd in the punch bowl. (laughs) The CNAs, this should make you all feel very good because it did me too. I love that they like the fun people, but that's easy. But when GIF finished speaking, the line of CNAs to speak with him one-on-one was at least a block long. They do want education. They mm-hmm. do wanna be spoken to like a clinician and they can handle it. There's a, uh, there's a effort going on right now to stop requiring a bachelor's degree to become a nursing home administrator. There's a lot of opposition to that, but I'm a high school dropout. Who became a dishwasher, a nurse aide, and nine years later became a nursing home administrator. At that time in our industry, almost every administrator was like me. Companies had AIT programs where you went as an 18-year-old kid and you could have come out with a career because you went through months and months of various work in departments. You don't need a degree to be an administrator. You ask some and they'll tell you, I don't use my degree in this role. I don't run this business. I'm given a budget. I'm told what my census needs to be. I have to be a relationship builder. I'm not a business person. And so the best relationship builders, I believe, were always those who came up organically through the profession, right? Because I passed meds as a med tech. I became an administrator and my med techs would come and say there's no possible way I can do this within two hours. I wasn't just talking out of my head because they knew i'd been one, so I could show them how it can be done. There was just value in that, and I would love to see that restored, but I did notice that I was sent a document where the um, examiner board is not that Hmm. high on that, and there was even a quote. That means a CNA could become an administrator and that is unacceptable. I nearly fell out of my, oh my chair. Goodness. Why would not we create pathways for people, nurse, CNAs to become DONs, administrators, physical therapists? We need them all, right?
2: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Um, allowing opportunities abound. And I think that limiting anybody, I'm not sure what the purpose of that is. And I think again, how we speak to people and if we purposely limit them in their, uh, in their abilities, the only person that leaves us out is all of us. So uh, I agree with that. I also love you gave an idea to us uh, on our healing together. One of the CNAs that spoke, and I'm sorry, I can't remember which one, you know, it says, you know, medical directors and providers should go on rounds with CNAs and learn from them, learn about your patients. That's really where I learn some of my greatest gifts about patients I learned from CNAs and and say, and say thank you for for teaching me things I didn't know. So, I think that, again, that relationship and seizing those opportunities to listen, to talk, to round, and to learn from CNAs is an incredible opportunity.
3: We have to do something because we are losing, you know, decade experience CNAs just this year. I've lost uh, two of my board members, one left completely, and she was on the healing together 20 years at Good Samaritan. I remember That's her. That's what I want to, I want to touch- you Can't upon do it, it anymore. Um, yeah,
1: I, w- I want to definitely touch upon the the staffing crisis as it relates to our CNAs. We know that we have a uh, a staffing crisis amongst all professions in, in healthcare. But in particular, when we think about what this pandemic has done to the CNAs that we have out there working on the front line, unacknowledged um, in most cases, what, what, do you, what do we even begin to do about the challenges that we're seeing right now?
3: Well, um, you know, it makes it difficult. Everybody says, you know, we have to raise wages and I'm the biggest, you know, I'm all for that. But I also know that nursing homes are a fixed income business and people seem to forget that. If we own one, the four of us here and it's a hundred bed facility, we know what our paycheck can be every month depends on how many people are living there it's not even hard math right uh it's your daily rate times your census times the days in the month so covid would have wiped us out because we weren't a chain right uh we have successfully ran out owner operators in this industry for the last 15 years almost like it's been uh, on purpose right so um here's the thing we can't raise pay the four of us owning one we couldn't compete with Amazon we can't compete with uh, and and so we should stand united because CNA wages the nursing homes need it but they'll fight against direct wage pass through because if there's going to be a reimbursement they want it they want to be in control of the reimbursement not say not being told what to do with it but there's real solutions but we can't leave nursing homes to fl- you know, to just figure it out. There's no way to do this without government intervention. And I believe there there are ways that the government could support pay increases, especially through this public health emergency crisis uh, that could have prevented a lot of this. Now, I don't believe there's gonna be any shortage of people who will wanna follow the career path I followed, you know, from a high school. Not everybody's gonna to get to go to college. Yeah. Millions upon millions. What we don't do, is inspire people to care. CNA's wanted, all shifts, apply within, or apply online. We're getting more and more sterile all the time. The average CNA interview in this country lasts five minutes and is interrupted three times on
1: average.
3: Wow, that is a very
1: alarming statistic.
3: 10 minutes, I misquote. 10 minutes and is interrupted three times by a page overhead, a phone call, or a knock on the door. So, you know, it's, it's, everybody's just overwhelmed. And so I think it's going to take all of us, like we have been doing these last two years, AMDA, NACA, the American College, Adana, all of the subject matter experts coming together to support long-term care.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I also think I would love to see our society change the paradigm and make it so that, CNAs and everyone that works in a nursing home. It is a job of of respect, decency, expertise, and humanitarianism. It's a job that's respected. I think if we could change that, imagine walking into the door of a nursing home and feeling like that everybody who hears that you work in a nursing home is saying, wow, that's amazing. Wouldn't that be great? So I think changing that paradigm could help in our society and addressing ageism. And I also think that um, when I've talked to different CNAs, when some CNAs have left one job and gone to another job, it's funny that I would say about 50%, and I know that there's a a survey um, that's also proven this, 50% leave not for money. It's for uh, workforce. How much support do they have during their, their job? How much respect do they get? How are they treated? How are they cared for? And those are tangible things that we could indre- address uh, without additional money. It would just take a different perspective. It would take a conscientious effort to see how we're investing in people.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
2: so, if, if
1: I was thinking, like, you know, how how to describe the roles, <laughs> going back to the first question of a CNA. I'm like I, I'm jotting down some notes. I'm like they're emotional and physical well-being therapists. They're intimacy managers. They're, um, you know, health nursing and coaching specialists. I don't. It is. It is so evolved. Um. I think that is. It is a huge challenge. And and I agree with you both. I, I agree that we need to have a paradigm shift. We need to really start thinking about this. And it's going to require changes at the, not only the state, but the federal level, because we have to really rethink about the entire infrastructure, but this is the most, and I'm not going to say most important, Lori, but I'll say critical you know, person in our facility, (laughs) you know, the
3: sad, the saddest thing to me is when someone like the physician or the administrator often will say an administrator to try to make the staff feel good. He'll say he or she will say this place can run without me, but not without you. I don't find that that helpful. I think figure out what to say. Right. You know, and then they struggle because they can. they they, then they went to you're the foundation. Well, buddy, the foundation's cracked. The house is falling down. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't. That nobody wants. That doesn't help. Learn how to show the gratitude Leslie was talking about. Do you know it's easier to write someone up than to compliment them?
1: That's so fortunate. That is true.
3: You just watch. True. People don't know how to take a compliment either. <laughs> Oftentimes they'll say, "Oh, this old thing." I got this on the sales rack instead of going, thank you. I wore it for you, man. Well,
1: I, I will definitely agree with you. If my husband gives me a compliment, I'm like, what do you need? What do you want? What yep, do you try to yep. get me to do? Um, so I, I definitely agree with you. On that.
2: <laughs> We're going to yeah, have to I, work him over. <laughs> I do think that one thing that I think Lori and I and all, all of us have noticed is that since uh, we've been struggling through this pandemic, this is a moment. This is a time when people are interested in how can we make this better? And I hope uh, AMDA and Naka and we joined forces together with our other stakeholders and use this moment to do the work that we need to do to change this paradigm. And I think it also, just as you both have mentioned, Uh, our federal government can help us in that we could partner with them and they could invest in all of us and the important work that we do. And that paradigm shift would be very meaningful, not have it be punitive, but have it be both hopeful and constructive.
3: Exactly. And, you know, I think it would be worth our while to look at holding a uh, staffing summit or a workforce development summit, because the one thing that keeps getting and we did it yesterday i mean our speakers were fabulous we had a physician a couple of physicians on and they did great but um the thing is is you know it's easy to recite textbook things about leadership correct but i think the beauty of the the societies coming together is what can we do mm-hmm. to ease this burden because, you know, facilities are even willing to admit, you know, we're not good. Uh, and and they need our help. And so I think that's one of the things we can explore is new ideas, innovation. Uh, do you know that in this day and age, facilities still don't have a communication means with their CNAs? Mm-hmm. I I would no more be an administrator of a nursing home if I couldn't push one notification and communicate with my team. And yet, nursing homes either don't have the money to invest in that type of technology, which is very economical to begin with, or we're just not wanting people to, we don't want to communicate with people. But I think the societies, the associations could come together and offer some real innovative solutions, that the homes, if they were given solutions, it's a little hard to cry and say there aren't any out
2: there, right? Yeah. And I think we can demonstrate what we're preaching, that we could come together, we could listen to one another, we could respect each other and hear each other out. And I can't even imagine what we would accomplish. I think it would be monumental.
1: So I I would like to thank you both. Um, Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Leslie. This has been, this this has not only been fun, but it's been very um, truly informative, truly impactful. And I am sort of stuck on the paradigm shift that needs to happen. And I cannot wait to hear more. Uh, I will see you both in a a week. (laughs) Thank you.
3: Absolutely. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
3: Thank you. Absolutely.
0: If you are a physician interested in obtaining ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits for certification or recertification, go to our learning management system at apex.paltc.org. That's A-P-E-X dot P-A-L-T-C dot org. Click on the podcast and follow the link to this episode.